through. Amen? Amen. All right, so last week during worship, I don't know if you remember this or not, but, but Holly actually brought up, uh, she felt the unction of God to, to read Psalms 27. Do you remember that? It's an awesome, awesome verse. It really, really is, and it so expertly describes the goodness of God, which is why I actually want to use it as my text today. Uh, it's, uh, I, I would love to read the entire psalm to you this morning, but uh, I only have uh, you know, about half an hour to do this. So uh, what I'm going to do is, uh, if you want to open up your, your Bible apps, or you want to open up your actual physical copies of the Bible, and you want to turn to Psalms 27, do that, do that right now. And if you can go to verse 1, I'm going to read now verse 1, and I'm going to read the very beginning, and I'm going to read the very end of the verse. There's only 14 verses, not very long. Uh, but the beginning and the end uh, is really important. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. And if you want to read the rest of the verse while I'm preaching, go ahead. I will not be offended by that whatsoever. Uh, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Okay, then we skip all the way to the end in verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. 14 verses is not really long, so I'd encourage you, please do read it. And uh, because Psalm 27 is really a psalm that can sustain us in faith, you know, even in the worst situations that we're facing. And in between verse 2 and 10, the psalm is filled with other things. He talks about all the evildoers, all the adversaries, all the foes, all the enemies, all the false witnesses that are, that are after him. And David's facing some and what David's facing, uh, actually some believe that it's, it could either be the time when he was exiled by Saul. Uh, it could also be when his own son Absalom was after him. It could be one of those two situations. And it was a dire time for David in both those situations. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was, everything was going on against him. And remember how I said last week that when it rains, it pours? <laughs> when it rains, it pours. It was literally pouring on David right now. It was a dire situation. And uh, this is the world that, that David was in. And I'm sure a lot of us feel at times, that, right, even right now, that the world is against us. Like when it rains, it pours. One problem leads to another, to another, to another. And uh, a lot of times we can find ourselves in these situations as well. What's so interesting, especially right now, is that, you know, the pandemic and, and all the trouble it brings, uh, you know, is no respecter of person. Just like Pastor Janet preached a little while ago, it is the great equalizer. Uh, it's an impossible situation for every single person, even world leaders. Uh, it's affecting, right? So it's, uh, it's a big problem for all of us. And the virus has put our backs against the wall. Now that we've spent most of this year dealing with isolation, uh, dealing with restrictions, dealing with this like hyper hygiene that we're doing, uh, you know, our sense of resourcefulness is, is kind of starting to evaporate a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, what we knew and believed in theory is now reality. And it's this, that faith is all that we have. Faith is all that we've got. We have nowhere to turn to but the Lord. And now we have to learn to wait on Him. And that's what this verse says. We have to wait on Him to act on our behalf. What I like about Psalm 27, though, is that it's a lot different from the other Psalms as well, too. Most other Psalms, they open up with lamenting, right? They open up with, uh, you know, lamenting over the things that are going on, talking about all the trials and the problems that uh, David is facing, and he's calling out to God for help and relief. After that, though, he talks about the faithfulness of God. So he goes through all the lamenting, and then he talks about the faithfulness of God at the end. 
This psalm, though, changes things around a bit. It opens up with an outburst of praise and confidence in the Lord. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? The confident opening of this psalm goes right on to the end where it finishes with an equally, really like it's a stirring declaration of God's goodness which sets this psalm apart. And I really believe that this is a psalm for today that we can grab a hold of. All right? Why do I think that? Because today is a time where people are really questioning the goodness of God. They really are. Have you noticed that whenever you ask somebody out there, not in the church, but you've asked somebody out there in the, in the world, you know, hey, how are you doing? How was your summer? I find the main response is, oh, you know, it's, it's good. Good as it could be, I guess, right? There's no, it, the whole even politeness of saying, yeah, things are great. That's just out the window. It's like, yeah, things, you know, they're okay. They're okay. You know, it's as good as I, I, it can get, which is a pretty bleak response when you think about it, right? It's a pretty bleak response. As believers, though, we're, we're challenged because, you know, we react to today's reality. The way that we react to today's reality has a lot to do with how good we are remembering God's faithfulness in our lives, right? How we can look back and see God's hand in every aspect of our lives. It's saying, knowing and believing, if he can do it then, he can do it now as well, right? David does just that in the psalm, and even when he's facing the worst, he recalls and says, look what the Lord has done. Look how good he is to me. What kindness, what favor. And this is really a key to living a blessed life. Even when everything looks like chaos, your past experience speaks to the goodness, the goodness that's about to come, regardless of the situation you might be in right now in the present. The truth is that there isn't a single person probably in this room who hasn't experienced the outrageous, the lavish, the unexpected, the undeserved kindness of our God. True? Okay, Pastor, that seems a bit extreme though, doesn't it? Well, I want you to understand and appreciate God's goodness to me. I, and I'll, I'll, let you, I'll give you something very simple that you can grab onto if you haven't experienced God's goodness. And it's this. It can begin and end with an understanding of Jesus. If we understand who Jesus is, we can understand the goodness of God in our lives. That's where it can begin, I can end. And everything in between Jesus is just bonus, really, when you think about it. And I'm calling it bonus, even though I believe that we as people, we as saints, we as children, we get to experience his blessings every single day. If your eyes are open to seeing it, of course, right? They are poured out over us constantly. How can I say that in a day like today? Well, I can declare it with total confidence because there is one unchanging truth that permeates every moment of reality, and it's this. Are you ready? You ready for it? God is good. God is good. Think about it. The, the original definition of good is God. He is good in and of himself. He's good. For us, goodness is like an added quality. When we talk about someone that's good, it's like an added quality. But it just comes naturally from because he is good. He embodies good. He is what is good. God is not just the greatest of beings. He is the best. He is good all the time. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said no one is good but one God. We call all kinds of good things good, don't we, though? We say, hey, that steak was really good, right? That was a, he's a good friend. Oh, that was, a, that was a good movie. But all these things that we call good, they're all just tainted and, and imperfect. And that includes us, by the way. None of us are good either, right? God alone is goodness in and of himself. He is good. Amen? So one thing that's troubled me, well, I didn't miss the slide there. One thing that has troubled me in, during this pandemic is that there are many Christians out there right now, and even ones who I admire, I, I don't, I'm trying not to be judgmental here, but, you know, they're saying that a lot of the safety measures that, that we have to do, 
you know, wearing the mask and being cautious and all those things. A lot of people are saying that, that doing that is a persecution against the church. It's a persecution against the body of Christ. And, you know, it's my opinion, however, that there are many people in the church of North America that actually don't even know what persecution is. No idea what persecution is. And on the same token, I have no idea or are not discerning actually the goodness of God during this pandemic as well. Right? Let me give you two examples right now. Okay, these are two people uh, that, uh, that my, I, I, my friend Richard Davies always forwards me specific articles about uh, what's going on in the church and the world. Now, there's two places in the world right now where, where Christianity is taking off. It is going crazy. And that's Iran and China. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Now, these are two articles that my friend sent me uh, this week. And one of them on the, on the left-hand side, uh, that's an Iranian couple who adopted a sick young girl uh, who is now two years old. And they've had her for almost in her entire life. And uh, the course, because they are Christians, because they attend a home church, uh, the state has now deemed them unfit as parents. And they're going to try and take away this child. And even though the court has said, we, are not, we recognize because this child is sick uh, that she's probably not going to get adopted again. She's going to live in the state care for the rest of her life, and it's not going to be good for her. But we still see you as unfit parents because of your Christianity. I'm sorry, that's persecution, right? Now, they are still, you can see they're very happy people. They're obviously upset about it, but they are trusting in God despite that, despite the persecution. The people on the right, another family in China who have a church, and he's an elder in a church, uh, and basically the state there is telling them that if you do not obey our laws, if you don't, if you don't you know, stop, stop proclaiming Jesus, or we're going to have the right to actually take your children away as well. Right? And despite that, he's, this, is what he says, this is what he says, uh, this, this man, to the, to the people that are there. The church elder told the authorities that he did not want to fight, and he hoped that they would keep the law and not break it. I told him that we're simply believers in Christ who want to bless the city of Chengdu, where they're from. He said, I said that we obey the authorities, even if, the, even if they, I will obey the, I said that we obey the authorities, even if they break the law, we still submit to them and are willing to pay the price of our faith. They felt blessed to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's persecution. I'm sorry. Those are people that are facing persecution, but they also understand the goodness of God. And they're willing to risk it all uh, for their faith. That's persecution. So do we still believe that wearing a mask is persecution? Come on. Come on. Or do we believe that we are a blessed nation? Because we are a blessed nation. We are a blessed nation. Take note of the goodness that God has lavished on Canada specifically. My goodness. And you know what? This is Thanksgiving. We should be thanking the Lord for everything that he's done for the nation of Canada during this time. Hallelujah. Come on. I feel blessed because I can gather with you today. And, that, you know, that's not just blind optimism either. It's acknowledging who he is. And, and if you want to see God for, for who he really is, here's a good starting point. Okay, here's First Chronicles 16 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalms 34 and 8. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love is eternal and his faithfulness endures to all generations. Every generation. All generations. That means us too, even right now. It exists for all generations. 
So when I say God is good, the general response for most Christians is, God is good. All the time. All the time, which is great. It's correct. It's all the time. You know, and there's nothing, there's nothing unreasonable about trusting God, especially in impossible situations. Even though faith can be blind, it is absolutely not crazy, is it? It's not crazy. It's not crazy at all because of who he is and, and who, who is this Lord that we put our faith in. God is, he's your light, he's your salvation, he's your stronghold, he's your defender, he is beautiful, he is gracious, he is faithful, he's the lifter of your head. And that absolutely sounds like someone to me that I want to get behind. That sounds like someone pretty good that I want to get behind. And David celebrates these circumstances of the Lord throughout the psalm. So, in light of who the Lord is, I think it's perfectly reasonable to place your faith in his character, which is good all the time. It's actually the best thing you could ever do. So David knew what God was like, and, and he knew that God would rescue him from his situation. And that's what makes verse 13 and 14 stand out to me so much, because he is so confident right off the bat. He is so confident, and then he just repeats himself over again, trust in the Lord, wait on him. And it takes real faith to believe in the goodness of God when you're in dark circumstances. But David doesn't just think he, you know, he doesn't, he's not just saying, you know, I think, you know, he might perhaps just possibly... He's not uncertain like that. He knows he's going to see the goodness of God. He is confident that he will see the goodness of the Lord. David was in a tough spot when he wrote the psalm, but he's, he's being attacked by enemies and, and war. And again, perhaps even Absalom, his own son, which is a really bad situation, right? And it, but though they're chasing after to kill him and, and to add insult to injury, there are false witnesses rising up against him. Again, when it rains, it pours, right? All these bad things are happening to him. And to connect this back to Elijah, we were talking about before, it's likely that David is actually probably even hiding out in a cave here as well. So we're talking about Elijah hiding in the cave from, from his pursuers. David's doing the same thing right now. And life is looking pretty bleak at best. But unlike Elijah, David is actually confident in this situation. He's actually confident. I, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. We can be confident too. We can be confident even more so and even in fuller sense because we have Jesus, the son of David on our side. David didn't have Jesus at this point. We do. He's risen, and Jesus is risen from the dead. Whether we live or die, whether we get COVID or not, you know, whether, you know, our syrup runs out, you know, we are, whatever your possible situation is, we can look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why? Because Jesus has seen to it. That's why. All right, that brings us to the point Though we might be asking, well, you know, when am I going to see a victory? When am I going to see it? I believe in faith, but when am I going to see it? When I get to heaven? Yeah, that's the ultimate state of victory. Going to heaven, that's, that's great. That's a, that's a, there's going to be a victory there. But David is explicit in his faith here by declaring that he's going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In the land of the living. And that contrasts with uh, what you see in some texts about if this land of the living isn't, you know, in heaven... Because land of the living is not Sheol. Sheol is the land of the dead that they, they talk about in the Bible a lot. This is the land of the living. So simply it means that he believed that his prayers would be answered by God in his life. That's what he means. Though he may have been exiled, you know, he trusted that God would hear his cries and ultimately save him. And instead of starting to write from a position of weakness or fear of, uh, you know, the wicked men and the enemies that were after him, he instead reflects on the goodness and faithfulness of God. And this psalm brings from... Uh, you know, it actually starts from a point of victory instead of lament. Why? Because God is good and his mercy endures forever and he's the God of our salvation. 
What a great example that, that David gave us here in the psalm to remember the goodness and, and grace of God, not to focus or, or dwell on the immediate problems like Elijah did. Because the problems of, life, of this life, they're, they're just momentary. They really are. They are momentary compared to the eternal goodness of God. So why should we have faith? The strength of faith is to believe and trust in the reality of God's character. And even if you can't experience that goodness right now with your physical senses, you can experience the goodness of God with the eyes of faith like David did. That's what you can do. And this is actually the trait that delighted the Lord. And David proved in this psalm to be a man after God's own heart, a man that trusted the word of the Lord and who did not, you know, and who not only expected God to supply all his needs according to his riches and glory, but a man who believed God would deliver him from the uh, hands of his enemies. Who shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid? Amen? So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get there? Let me ask you, how do we get there? We wait. We wait. But the idea behind waiting on the Lord is not a passive sitting around until the Lord does something kind of thing. That's not what waiting on the Lord is. Yes, God gives us strength, you know, but we can't expect it to come by just passively sitting by. He brings it to us as we seek him, as we rely on him. Instead of relying on our own strength, a lot of times our weakness uh, you know, our weakness in a difficult situation uh, is because we're actually not waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I'm saying this like it's something that we can do easily, <laughs> right? Like it's so easy to do. But the truth is it's probably one of the hardest commandments in the Bible. It really is. Last week when Elijah was sleeping under a bush, you know, you know he was being chased and he stopped and he, he fell asleep under a bush and he did that twice. He was actually not waiting. That was passive. That was not waiting. When God said to Elijah, go to the opening of the cave, and, you know, I have something to say, uh, you know, and then he faced the, the scary earthquakes, he faced the wind, he faced the fire, uh, you know, but he, you know, Elijah then just held out through all that chaos to hear the still small voice. That was waiting. That was actually the waiting part, right? That was waiting on the Lord. Now, most of us absolutely hate waiting, right? We hate waiting. We really do hate waiting. Uh, Holly and I were talking about this, uh, this experiment that, that uh, somebody did with children where they sat five children at a table and they gave each child a marshmallow in front of them. They saw five marshmallows in front of five children. And the person that was administering the test said to each child, okay, so here's one marshmallow, but if you don't eat it when I leave the room, <laughs> if you don't eat this marshmallow when I leave the room, we will come back and give you five marshmallows instead. Right? So that's what they said to the children. They left the room, and something like 80% of the children ate the one marshmallow instead. <laughs> right? They ate the one marshmallow. Why? Because we hate waiting. We hate, we hate waiting for things. So the word wait is actually misunderstood in our spiritual lives as well. Biblical waiting is grounded in active trust, reliance, and dependence on God. So waiting on God is, is actually hard work. It can be hard work. But it's the only solution to our weakness it's the only solution to the impossible. It's the only voice you need to hear in the chaos. It's the only direction that you need when you're lost. It really is. And, you know, we have a lot of mature Christians here, and I guarantee that any experience that you may have had, and tell me if I'm wrong, but any experience that you may have had where it was undoubtedly God doing something in your life, you know, where he turned some kind of situation around, and, you know, if you look back at that experience with October 2020 eyes, I'm sure you can see that it was solely based on you waiting on God, on trusting, 
I'm not doing something out of your own strength or doing something out of your own action or your own reasoning, right? It probably came from waiting on the Lord. Again, it's not sleeping until God shows up. It's active, anticipating, believing in his ultimate goodness. The only problem, though, is that it will absolutely <laughs> it's going to require your courage. It will absolutely require courage to do. You know what's interesting? Verse 14 begins and ends with the same piece of advice. Do you notice that? It says, wait for the Lord. Now, when the Bible says something twice, it means you should be paying attention. Right? He said it twice. It was so important that he said it twice. Wait on the Lord. Have you ever told your kids something twice? Five or six, seven, eight times? Yeah, absolutely. Kids, it's very important that when you go to school today, you do not put your hands in your mouth. Whatever you do, do not put your hands in your mouth or anywhere close to your mouth today, okay? Kids, I, I see you doing it right now. Do not put your hands in your mouths. You have to tell it to them over and over again. And most of the time, they don't listen anyways. He said it twice. David said it twice. Wait for the Lord. People always fail us. We always fail ourselves, but God will never fail us, and that is why we can wait in confidence. And we don't have to wait passively in this pandemic. We will do what needs to be done as responsible citizens, right? We're going to follow the rules. We're going to do what we need to do as responsible citizens to take care of each other. But we're not going to panic. We don't panic because we know how God restores. We know how God turns it all around for good. He's going to work it out. Whether he uses health agencies, whether he uses vaccines, doctors, or hospitals, God's actually the one that's going to work it out in the end. He's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. We've seen him work in the Bible. We've seen him work in our own life experiences, right? So we can wait on the Lord. Amen? Let's wait for it. Let's wait and see what he's going to do because he's going to do awesome things. Amen? I love it. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Declare that over your lives today. Declare that over your impossible situations. I remain confident. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right now in my lifetime, I'm going to see God's goodness. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Remind yourself, I'm going to wait on you, Lord. Lord, I am waiting on you. I'm going to see something happen. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand and, and just pray in confidence that we believe we're going to see God move in an incredible way, in an incredibly good way. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. Heavenly Father, what a wonderfully faithful God you are. And you are faithful to all who trust in your name. Thank you for this, this amazing example of David uh, who reminds us that your goodness and mercy last from generation to generation. And what you've promised in your word is true and sure. And I pray that, you know, we will be people that are actually after your own heart just as David was. And we'll be the ones who maintain our trust in you despite the difficult circumstances. I know that in your goodness you're going to provide for us and that you're going to protect us just of you to promise, Lord. We are going to see a victory. Fear does not stand a chance. It does not stand a chance. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.